The scripture reading for today comes from Luke 5, verses 27 through 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Well, good morning. C.S. Lewis was part of a famous circle of friends called the Inklings, which included J.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, and it also included an author by the name of Charles Williams, who died unexpectedly. And after the loss of his friend Charles, Lewis writes this, and you can see it on the screen. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald Tolkien's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. Lewis here is saying it took a community to know an individual because each friend brings out a different aspect of that individual's personality. Tim Keller says, if this is true about an individual, how much more would this be true of Jesus Christ? So in an effort for us to grow in our intimacy and our understanding of our Savior, over these next six weeks, we're going to be looking at different friends of Jesus. And this week, we're looking at Jesus' friend, Levi, in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And from this passage, we learn two different things about Jesus. First, we learn that Jesus sees us. And then secondly, we learn that Jesus moves toward the despised and the outcast. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful this morning for your goodness to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come. That you would take a very familiar passage to many of us. 
and use it to open our eyes to understand and see you, Jesus, in ways that we've never seen you before. And to see our own hearts in ways that maybe we were unwilling to see before. And Holy Spirit, that you would use your word to exhort us, to build us up, and to transform us. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 5 or you can look in your bulletin. And the first thing that we see through this friendship with Levi is that Jesus sees us. Now, several years ago, I was talking with my mentor about a woman that I had been interested in. And we, we shared a lot of things in common, me and this woman. I enjoyed talking with her, but there was something that was missing. And so I was talking with Gary about her and about the relationship. And he kind of smiled. And whatever I know, he smiles. That means I know he has some insight. And he paused and he said, you know, Todd, we all long for people in our lives that see us. We all long for people in our lives that when they look at us, they don't just see our outward appearance, they see our hearts. They see our strengths, our weaknesses. They see what we can become. And he said, the problem with this particular woman is that she doesn't see you. And then I smiled, thought about it, and said, yeah, you're right. You see, we are all created with a deep longing to be seen. We long for people to be able to look at us and not only see our outward appearance, but to see the matters of our hearts. One of my dearest friends growing up was a girl by the name of Catherine Blank. Um, her maiden name was Catherine May. And I had a crush on her. This is like the story of my life. And she didn't like me. And so we were friends. And we were friends from fourth grade all the way. We went to Carolina together. And the amazing thing about Catherine is I could walk into a room and we could be across the room from one another. And she would look at me and she could just see in my eyes exactly what was going on in my heart. Whether I was sad, whether I was afraid, whether I was hurting, whether I was full of joy. She got me. And oftentimes she would just look and she would smile. And that knowing made all the difference in my life. This is what we were created for. To be seen and to be known. And Luke tells us in this interaction with Levi that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who sees us. Luke tells us after Jesus heals the paralytic, he and the disciples walked out of the house and he was walking along. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. Now, the word Luke chose for Saul in Greek is sato, rather than the more common term found in Mark's gospel, you Luke used the word ethesato, which literally means to look at someone and not just see who they are, but who they might become through God's transforming power. 
It is a term used to indicate a deep knowing of another human being. Luke in this passage is saying that Jesus not only saw Levi's outward appearance, Jesus saw Levi's heart. His strengths, his weaknesses, his passions, his fears, his hurt, his pain, his unmet longings, and his hopes and dreams. Jesus understood that because Levi was a tax collector, that he was despised and an outcast. In first century Palestine society, the Roman government hired Jews to collect toll and land taxes. And they also hired Jews to collect tolls and tariffs and custom fees at toll houses, which were situated along trade routes. Now, while both of these groups were called tax collectors, the toll collectors, such as Levi, were despised even more than the poll and land tax collectors. Because Levi, they were paid in advance for the right to collect tolls, which often led to greater abuse and corruption of the people. And so when Jesus saw Levi, he saw a man who had not only abused others by stealing from them, he saw a man that in turn was ostracized by his Jewish neighbors for his shenanigans. But the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ is when he looks at us, he not only sees who we are, what we've done in the past, maybe even what we're doing in the present, but he sees what God created us to be. And when Jesus looked at Levi, he saw a man that was designed for dignity and had the capacity not just to take advantage of those around him, but to sacrificially love and give to those around him. The truth of this passage is that Jesus Christ sees you and me. When he looks at us, he knows our hearts. He knows your thoughts in this moment. He knows your sorrow. He knows your joy. He knows your hopes. He knows the times when you've been rejected. He knows everything about you. And he doesn't just see who you are. But he sees through God's eyes what God has created you to be. And as I think about Jesus seeing us, I can't but help but think about the story of Hagar in Genesis 16. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they were, he would give them a, a child. And so they tried through natural means to conceive, but they didn't. And so Sarah gets frustrated and she calls in Hagar a slave and she makes Abraham lie with her. And Hagar gets pregnant and has a child. And Sarah resents her and is harsh toward her. And Hagar, full of pain, flees and goes out as an outcast into the desert. Heartbroken, lonely, and hurt. Yet the author of Genesis tells us that while she was sitting by a spring of water in the wilderness, the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. You see, God saw Hagar. He saw her brokenness. He saw her fear. He saw her sadness. 
and he saw her future. And Hagar, in response to being seen by God, cries out, You are God, Elroy, a God of seeing. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. I cannot stand here and pretend that I see every one of you because I don't. But I hope you're comforted this morning in knowing that you have a Savior who does see you, who loves you, and who accepts you, who knows your gifts and your talents, your shortcomings, your sins, your hurts, your pains, your joys. And he accepts you there. Jesus is the God who sees Elroy. And as a result, we can echo Hagar's words in Genesis. Truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. And so the first thing that we learn in this friendship between Levi and Jesus is that Jesus sees us. The second thing we learn in this friendship between Levi and Jesus is that Jesus moves toward the despised and the outcast. The second thing that we see is that in in this friendship that our God moves toward those who were rejected. As I mentioned earlier, Levi was a tax collector and because of his occupation, he was looked at with great scorn from his fellow Jews. And if you were a Jew during that time and you were invited to a wedding party and Levi was one of the guests, my guess is that he is the last person that you would want to sit next to at that reception. But what we see in our passage is that Jesus not only chose to pursue Levi, Jesus invited Levi to be his friend. Look in verse 27, Luke tells us that Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now it's safe to assume that there was a lot of foot traffic that day on that trading route. Levi would have been very busy swindling people out of their money. And as Jesus walked along with the disciples, after seeing Levi, he walked up to him and he initiated a conversation with him. Now, we read this and we don't think much of it because we're familiar with the story. But put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Put yourself in those who are watching Jesus initiating with this outcast, this traitor. I'm sure they all gasped as he began to talk to Levi. It was a scandalous thing that Jesus would interact with someone who was so hated. And I'm sure there was murmuring all around him. And Jesus could have been distracted by that murmuring, but he wasn't. His eyes were fixed on Levi. And what does he do? He does something that's even more shocking than carrying on a conversation with Levi. He literally invites him into relationship. He calls Levi to follow him. To become Matthew, 
who is the author of the Gospel of Matthew, to become one of his inner circle. And what does Levi do in response? The text tells us he left everything. Literally, he got up from his toll booth, he quit his job, and he left that life behind. He turned, he repented, and he walked with Jesus. The word here is that he arose, which was the same word that we see in the story prior about the paralytic who arose from the mat and began to walk because his sins were forgiven and because his legs were healed. Levi began to walk with Jesus, but he doesn't stop there. What does he do? He's so overwhelmed because the Lord of the universe sees him and knows him and has asked and invited him to be in relationship with him that he throws a party, a huge party, and he invites all his friends. But the only problem is the only friends were tax collectors. And so they all came. And back in the ancient Near East, whenever you had a dinner party, it was a public party. And so those guests, the tax collectors, they were allowed to eat, but others could stand and watch. And what happened? The Pharisees and scribes, the religious, they stood and watched. And they murmured. And they said to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I love before the disciples even began to stumble over their own response, Jesus says to them, you want to know why I associate myself with someone like Levi, who was so despised and rejected by all of you? It's because those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus says, I move toward folks like Levi and these other tax collectors because they are sick and they know it. They are despised and they feel it. They are outcast and in need of friends. They have lost their way. And my father sent me to find them and to bring them back. Jesus says, I am the savior of the world. I am God's only begotten son. And much to yours and probably to most people's surprise, I have come to hang out with and capture the hearts of the despised and outcasts among you. This is our savior. This is the paradigm that Jesus is calling the church to follow today. And so this week, I've been spending a lot of time wrestling with this. Marveling at Christ's amazing character. But I've also been wrestling with who are the despised and the outcast in our society today? And as I thought about that, the easy answer are the murderers, the pedophiles, the rapists. But I thought more about it and thought, you know, I don't interact with murderers very often and probably none of you do either. Surely there's others in society 
that are despised. And then I thought more about it and I looked at my own heart and asked myself some tough questions that I wanted to ask you to wrestle with this morning. As we think about our Savior's heart in pursuit of the despised and his call for us to do likewise. What types of people do you avoid associating with in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, here at Hope Chapel? Which of the nine types of the Enneagram do you avoid like the plague when given the chance? What type of person are you most critical of? And I thought about Caitlin's and Caleb's wedding reception last week. And when you walked into the room and there were all these tables, who didn't you want to sit beside? You see, if we are honest, the truth is every one of us have our list of people that we don't like. We have our list of people that we don't want to associate with. And if we're really honest, that at times we despise. For example, some of us can't stand being around liberals. And others of us don't like hanging out with folks who are conservative. Some of us who are fours on the Enneagrams don't like hanging out with ones. And some of us thinkers really struggle to be around all you feelers. We all have our personal list of folks that we consider the outcast. And the ironic thing is that there's not a person in this room that is not on someone else's list. Did you hear me? There's not a person in this room that's not on someone else's list. The amazing thing is that all of us are outcasts. All of us are rejected. And yet, Jesus is calling all of us to move toward the outcast and rejected. And I believe the only way we can do that is if we see that we too are outcasts. And that we have a Savior who sees us, who knows us. And if he were to walk through those doors this morning, he would choose to sit with you and to put his arm around you and to accept you and to love you. And it's in knowing that truth, that reality, that will transform the way we love and accept and move toward one another. Jesus says in Luke 14, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or the brothers of your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. 
For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so two questions that I want to leave us with this morning. As we consider the fact that Jesus sees us and the fact that Jesus moves toward the outcast and the despised. And the first question is, what have you done with the beautiful reality that your Savior sees you and has caused you, has called you to follow him? What have you done with that reality that Jesus Christ in this moment knows your very thought? Whether it's thinking about lunch, whether you're bored with the sermon, he knows it, he loves you, he accepts you, and he moves toward you. Now for some of us, because of shame, we want to run and hide. And we just can't allow him to look at us. And yet, the beauty of the gospel is that on the cross when he died, not only did he cover our sins, but he covers your shame. He loves you in that place. And so this morning, will you let him see you? Will you receive his knowing of you? And will you let that melt your heart so that you might follow him? And then the second question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is who do you struggle to sit next to here at Hope Chapel? When you go to your community group tonight, who is the person that you don't want to come sit next to you at dinner? And again, if we're all honest, there's someone in our community group that we don't want to come sit next to us. What would it look like for us to see that we too are the outcast and yet Jesus always comes and sits next to us? What would it look like for that to melt our hearts in such an incredible way that we look at that person and instead of moving away from them, next Sunday... You guys are going to be sitting with different people and don't get paranoid. You're thinking, oh my gosh, this person despises me. I'm not saying that, but I'm encouraging us to think differently and to love differently, to love radically and to love scandalously. C.S. Lewis understood that each of us brings out unique attributes and qualities in one another. This was true for the Inklings, and this is true for Jesus. And through Levi's friendship, we get the opportunity to see two beautiful attributes of our Savior. The truth that He sees us completely. And the truth that He moves toward all of us who are despised and who are outcasts. And over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to look at different friends and see different attributes of our Savior. Because I can't think of a better time as we move into Passion Week, as we move into Easter, and as we celebrate the resurrection for our hearts to grow in our love and our passion for Jesus. To understand more fully and deeply 
who He is and how much He loves and cares for you. Amen.